All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, and he's going to put uh, the two boots in your two-step. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> what does that even mean? I had nothing written down this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with uh, uh, Midwest Mosey talk. <laughs> I think that's what I just got there. Denny, guess what I just stumbled across? The story that um, scientists, oh. you know, science... Which I've been exploring a lot the last couple of days because uh, yesterday I interviewed um, an old friend who designed and built the uh, Mars rovers that are currently oh, on Mars. That's really cool. So I have been in the space of science, and they have successfully uh, completed something called imagined writing. Hmm. They took a man who had you know taken a fall in his garage a few years back, who's now quadriplegic, who decided to take part in a study putting a sensor into his brain and after a while of them recognizing the patterns his brain he can think about which letters and which words he would like to write and it is written for him hmm. so we have gotten to this point where uh we can do imagined writing how cool is that I just thought that imagined writing was every single paper I wrote in college, but hey, I guess there's actual science here. So. <laughs> Are um, you saying uh, you spent a lot of money on college and didn't get anything out of it, Denny? Dude, no, I got a lot out of it. I got my entire career out of it, if I'm being completely real. like I wish I could be one of those people that was like, fuck education, but like, you know, Marquette did great things for me. I got a lot of cool experiences out of college that your weren't boy even, your, your, your boy even got 10 minutes for the Nuggets the other day. <laughs> and the other guy is, uh, you know, getting five points a game for Golden State, Juan Toscano Anderson. Ah, that's right. Dude. He just got signed to a new deal yeah, today. Yeah. Look at that. Man. See, I think I'm kind of entitled to some of that money given how many group projects I bailed, bailed that guy out of. So I think, listen, I'm not asking for a lot, but, like, you know, just slip me a couple thou. I'm good. That's a strange request, Eddie. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure through your vast Rolodex and connections through Sirius, you could probably get an email over to Juan Toscano somehow and maybe maybe ask and see what happens. Why don't you give Juan an email and see what he says when you try to uh, try to embezzle $5,000 out of him? The last time I got an email from the Warriors PR staff, it was to take a social media post down a couple years ago in like the oh. height of the Splash Brothers. So I, okay. I think I'm kind of barred from the Bay Area for a little bit. Are you, what was the post? It was, uh, you know, friend, friend of the show, Amino Hassan, going in on uh, probably Draymond Green. I think that's yeah. what, yeah. Okay. But uh, Benny, do you want a, uh, a a a Doge update, a Doge coin update? And no, I'm not talking <laughs> about the dog that I've been taking care of this weekend. Elon, sure. our boy, yeah. soon to be tune up podcast guest. Fuck next week. Me this weekend, and not in like a <laughs> intimate, like uh, sexual chocolate kind of way. No. In like uh. All he needed to do on Saturday Night Live, so we talked about last week how Elon was hosting SNL. It was supposed to be this great great thing. Dogecoin was going to go to the moon. One dollar. Instead, the, your, your man comes out and is like, no, it's just a scam. Yeah. Plummets. See you later. Yeah. Should have sold that 70 cents. Could have made a couple bills. But, hey, that's why I need the Juan Toscano Anderson money to offset my Dogecoin losses. 
I think something happened. I think like Elon went to New York this time to do SNL <laughs> and maybe he got sucked into a couple meetings with like Illuminati power brokers or something. The the keepers of the old guard because he sank <laughs> cryptocurrency within like two days. Amazing. And Tesla is separating themselves from Bitcoin yeah. today, uh, noting the environmental impact. I even went into crypto in about the safest way you can go into crypto, and it's still tanking. So I think, uh, I don't know, it might be hanging on the edge. I hate to report to my progressive friends that <laughs> cryptocurrency is hanging in the balance right now. I'm really confused about this environmental impact thing. It's like, this is all digital. I get you have to quote unquote mine. I just thought like the mining for Bitcoin was like a bit, so to speak. Like, I mean, yeah, that that part of it, I think you would need an engineer, or computer analyst yeah. to really describe to us. But yeah, apparently these bitcoins are created out of uh, a giant mathematical equation using mining that just takes a whole lot of electricity to do. So, you know, this is where, uh, you know, being the type of person I am, I got to throw my hands up <laughs> and listen to people smarter than me who are telling yeah. me that this is a problem. So it sounds like a problem. <laughs> uh, well, well, Benny, you know it's not a problem. What's that? This day in music history. Let's get into Never. it. Do, 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 do. All right, so I'm going pretty contemporary this time, but it was pretty interesting. Yeah. So in 2016... Following the release of uh, Lemonade by Beyonce, all 12 of the tracks on the album debuted on the Hot 100, breaking Taylor Swift's 2010 record for most songs on the chart at the same time by a female artist. All these songs charted somewhere between number 10 to number 63. So she actually didn't have a top 10 hit in this mix. Mm. Here is what... I hate to knock down the queen, okay? Because she's the queen. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to chip away at Beyonce. Jay, I got a couple things to say about oh, these days. Coming but up. B, I got no issues with. B, no issues. But I got to say, in this regard, she's a paper champion, okay? And the reason why is because all top 10 songs were in the Heat Seekers chart because of a new distribution model that didn't rely on singles. The chart now factored in digital downloads and streaming. So any song can land on the charts, regardless of whether or not it's deemed a single. This is a stark contrast to the way it used to be, where you had to be dubbed a single to be considered for the top 100 Heat Seekers chart. Hmm. So Taylor Swift was the last one to appear that many times without all of her songs appearing as singles. And Beyonce happened to be the first megastar who used the uh, new analytics here to her advantage. But I also don't think she was the one trying to wear the crown about this. I'm sure it was everyone else. Again, no disrespect to B, Queen B. I got no issues with you. But in this regard, you're a paper champion. So what you're saying to me is Beyonce is the Russell Westbrook of music. I, I mean, in this regard, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sure. okay yeah, this cool. record means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Big ups to Russ, though. I never thought that that Oscar Robinson record was going to come down. So no. shout out to don't him. Get, don't get me started on We We could do a podcast on <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Uh, a whole one. Coming up, 
next season. No, just kidding. <laughs> Benny, on this day in 1968, a really cool intersection of sports and music and all this stuff happened. So on this day in 1968, John Lennon and Paul McCartney appeared on The Tonight Show with guest host Joe... Oh, nope, Garib- nope, it's Garibaldi. coming, it's coming, it's coming. With guest host Joe Garagiola. Nope. Oh. Um, sitting in for Johnny Carson. Man, dude, I watched every single obit that, that they had for this guy in preparation for this, and I still couldn't stick the landing. Man. Um, the conversation included some light banter about meditation in, ni- in 1968, the forming of Apple Corps, and songwriting. Now, I love this because, you know, um, our guy Joe here grew up with Yogi Berra in St. Louis. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. Um, and it's kind of the original Michael Strahan, like everything Michael Strahan's doing with, like, you know, going from at, uh, um, going from being an athlete into hosting a prominent morning show. I mean, the guy even got up to the Tonight Show, which is pretty crazy. I don't think you'd ever really see that happen now, um, right. especially a baseball player. Baseball player being that culturally transcendent. Um, so yeah, just a just an unbelievable cross section here. Um, so 1968, the cross section of sports, music, and culture at 30 Rockefeller Center. Now the closest thing we have is like. The J.J. Reddick podcast. <laughs> it's a shame. So to kind of do my recon for this, even though I, I, I butchered the name, I always nail the, the the names when I'm going over it before the show, and then we get, you know, that little green light goes on on my laptop, and it's over. But I reached out to friend of show, Steve Russian. He was telling me just an unbelievable guy. Big ups this day, 1968. All right, Ben, you brought up Jay-Z before. That brings us to our first headline today. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced its list of 2021 inductees. Drum roll, please. Going into Cleveland, Ohio, we have the Foo Fighters, Jay-Z, Miss Better Than All the Rest, Tina Turner. They're all included. And then, Benny, this is when we get to my favorite part. I have been a champion of this woman Straight out the womb, I was a champion of this woman. She's doing everybody proud. The tapestry queen herself, Carol King, going into the hall. This is big for you. Oh, this is so big. Honestly, I may go. I may go to this just to be like, Carol, I know you had a Broadway show before I hopped on your bandwagon, but I really think the tuna pushed you over the edge. Um, Also going in, the Go-Go's are going in and Tom Rundgren. So uh, all in the performer categories. And then we have a few other honorees, LL Cool J, Billy Preston and Randy Rhodes going in from the Musical Excellence Award, Kraftwerk, Gil Scott Aaron and Charlie Patton will each be awarded Early Influence Awards. Um, so shout out to all this. The ceremony is going down on October 30th at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse Arena in Cleveland. And I'm just happy that somebody not named LeBron will win something in Cleveland. <laughs> it's interesting they threw in these Early Influence Awards. Mm. I feel like that is maybe them trying to combat, you know, uh, the legacy versus impact type of thing that the Hall of Fame struggles with because they've had a hard time recognizing artists with short-lived careers or uh, careers that never really hit the mainstream. But those two artists you just mentioned, like Gil Scott Heron and Kraftwerk, for their scenes and for the... Mm. Uh, musical direction that came after them those are two wildly influential artists who Mm. who people bit from and took from and uh i mean how many times have you heard someone say the revolution will not be televised like half the time you hear upbeat electronica music 
you know, you could probably stem the roots back of it to craft work. So I, I like that they're putting something in place now to, you know, give an avenue for a band that or an artist that maybe didn't, you know, crack the mainstream mm. quite as much. Congrats to your girl, Carol <laughs> King, excuse me, woman, Carol <laughs> King, who you have been lauding the efforts of for for most of this year. I think you had her all the way in the what, the top eight, the elite eight yeah, in our, in our poll about a year back. Elite eight. You know yeah, who so. was also in consideration for that tournament? We had a deep conversation off air about craft work being considered. That's right. And uh, Tina Turner, of course, no question, mm-hmm. put her in, cement it. Um, the Go Go's I like a lot because um, even though, you know, maybe only one or two of their songs are something that is in the, uh, uh, the main narrative of rock and roll, they're one of those groups that was a huge cultural phenomenon to be female punks like real female Mm. punks uh and you know what they did with uh their style and their attitude like you know they they were culturally really defining so i think they're super important so now Grohl is in twice right he's got nirvana now the foo fighters i think it's funny i didn't realize that Grohl was part of the uh committee to to choose the artist oh really see that's yeah so so now i gotta wonder Mm. If like, uh, you know, Tenacious D or something, he's like, yeah, Tenacious D is in now. So I could tie Eric Clapton for appearing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three times. I don't know. But I I like that he's on. uh, There was a cool quote from Dave Grohl where he said, I walk away from these meetings having learned something new, considering the voices. It's very diverse. It's not just a bunch of rock musicians sitting around discussing whether your favorite 80s hair metal band should be in or not. It's fun. I like doing it. But of course, there's a log jam of artists that I think should be inducted right away. So I'm curious who's on this list of mm. uh, Dave Grohl's like, you need to put him in now. Like, there's got to be like, like Dave Grohl's like Pete Rose and Barry Bonds, you know, the people who he really believes should be in the yeah. hall. I'm wondering who that is. Who for you, you know, I know that you don't believe in this kind of stuff, but who for you yeah. deserves to go I, in? I believe in it plenty i think the rock and roll hall of fame has always suffered from the same thing which is like you know again like body of work and this like long-standing impact cultural impact is kind of just some old guard thinking and i think Mm. they're gonna suffer from those problems if they don't really take some steps so i love the rock and roll hall of fame i want to make that clear i've been there like four or five times like if i if i'm in cleveland and i have time off you know they let bands in for free as long as you can prove you're in a band i always find it fascinating i'm a rock and roll historian man like i could walk through that place reading the the placards forever i think where the rock and roll hall of fame lost me as a little bit more of a subversive alternative person in music is that this got fucking bored man Mm. you know there's only so many times you can see like you know, the 60 year old grandfather <laughs> in his like loose leather jacket and his dyed uh, permed black curls who like used to be cool as shit when he was in his <laughs> 20s. And now he's not. Yeah. Um, there's just so many times you can watch it. I think I just got bored. Yeah. So I'm happy to see a little more diversity and um, maybe some different types of artists getting in. Maybe it'll spice it up a little, you know. 
Now, I think that this also means that Tina Turner is in twice. One for Ike and Tina, and now oh, Tina okay. individually. So that's a that's a big win there, man. That HBO documentary, I'm not sure if you watched it yet, but it was fantastic. I haven't yet. I mean, it's true. They're very separate careers. I mean, and also Foo Fighters and Nirvana have yeah. nothing to do with each other. Right. So it's fair. They both had separate separate impacts and separate generations. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not an anti-Dave Grohl guy. There's a lot of people to get on in this world. <laughs> Dave Grohl's not one of them. I think yeah. he's one of the good ones. Now, your thoughts on Jay-Z in here. I know you brought up Jay-Z before. Let's kind of pay off that. Oh, sure. Like, again, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was remiss to not mention <laughs> that. But I think that's another good step for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is recognizing, you know, again, like that Jay-Z has more of a a cultural impact, especially recently, than a number of artists from the 60s or 70s, you know? Um, and you have to start recognizing... We've had this conversation a number of times mm -hmm. on here recently that that you have to start recognizing hip-hop as not some, like, offshoot musical form anymore. Hip-hop yeah. is pop music. It is mainstream culture, and it has been for a long time. So it needs to be treated as such. I mean, if anything hip-hop is more uh, uh, integral part of contemporary music culture and rock and roll is even right now. So so if you want to stay stay up on it, hmm. you know, you put them in. Yeah. And Jay-Z's, you know, I would make the argument a lot of times that Jay-Z is not one of the best MCs of all time. I really believe that. If you just match him up lyric for lyric, verse to verse against some of the all-time greats, I think he fails, honestly. Yeah. But he has that other side to him. He was great at painting a picture, great at laying out an aesthetic, great at propping other people up and making other people famous and cool. And um, so I'm personally not the biggest Jay-Z fan uh, musically, but I do think he has every every right to be in this. All right, transitioning now, Benny, we have, you know, Whenever we get a story like this, we like to flash up the tune-up sweet spotlight. And boy, this one has everything that we love. Mm -hmm. Rapper J. Cole is expected to play for the Rwandan-signed Patriots BBC in the inaugural season of the Basketball Africa League. Sources have told the undefeated um, they're expected to make the, the signing official today. Uh, Jermaine Cole is no stranger to hooping. He was a walk-on on St. John's, um, but ultimately turned his focus to music uh, before playing a D1 game. He has a new album coming out, put out the first single, did a documentary, uh, talked about looking back at his basketball career, and he was like, if I put the same amount of work into the basketball as I did into the music, I probably could have made the league. Um, it's interesting how perspective kind of does that to you. But uh, the Patriots, he will play his, or the Patriots will play the first BAL game on Sunday against Nigeria's Rivers Hoopers. What a great name for a team. Benny, what do you make of this? I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I mean, this is like the redemption for J. Cole getting stuffed by the rim at that dunk <laughs> contest a couple of years ago. Because it was a bad look. But, I mean, I, here, I, I have zero idea, like, the level of talent that this league is going to have and the level of talent J. Cole is bringing to the league. Mm. how the fuck are we supposed to know right. i mean he played two years of varsity basketball was a walk-on for a little bit at st john's and then became one of the biggest hip-hop stars in the world for mm. like the next 10 15 years however long it's been now so 
I got to imagine he's close to his 30s now, right? Yeah, he's 36. Uh, so, so you know, he's up there. He's mm. not fresh. Uh, so the idea that, like, you know, a lot of uh, big-time players are coming out of Africa, and, and this is the NBA's attempt to kind of consolidate that league and get all the talent into into their system in, in Africa. So I really I can't in any way predict uh, how this is going to play out. But I think it's like must watch shit. Yeah. And I believe J. Cole knows that, you know, like how better to use your presence and your impact, your social media, like all of that to promote something that is is pretty positive for a bunch of the causes that he's already talked about. I mean, just putting the highlight on this league, Hmm. um, getting eyes and videos on this game where 24 people who are trying to make it into Euro leagues, NBA, like Australian leagues who are trying to make it in pro basketball are going to get watched because everyone's going to watch this. So I think it's really cool in that way. Um, Already odds makers are uh, are putting some odds up, and I saw some on uh, mybookie.com. So his uh, points scored, he's 15.5 points. He's a minus 120. 13.5 points, a minus 140. And then for the game itself, Rwanda Patriot BBC is a minus 150. Nigeria River Hoopers are a plus 110. So... The odds are not in J. Cole's favor right now, but I'm assuming mybookie.com knows about <laughs> as much as fucking I do about how this is going to play out, and they're just guessing and making up lines to get people to throw money down. Uh, so, But it's interesting, and I think it's cool, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. I hope he's really good. Yeah, I'd have him for 10 points. Maybe maybe not more oh, than yeah. that. I mean, he's, he's going to get shots. Yeah. He's going to get shots. Yeah. You know that. But yeah. My question for this is, like, did someone present him, hey, the name of this team is BBC. He was like, cool, where do I sign? He's like, I got to go to Africa? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you think he was? He, he thought he was going to Maida Vale? Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> maybe. We'll leave it there before I get myself in trouble. Yeah, um, all right, Benny, let's turn the attention back stateside, NBA, uh, Benny, we are in the last three games of the NBA season, and the Western Conference playoffs is tight. Ooh. So tight. Uh, the Lakers trail the Blazers and the Mavs by a game. LeBron is coming back in the next couple days. The LeBron stands in the media. You know who you are. They're viewing the play-in tournament as a rev-up game for LeBron. Uh, Benny, going into the playoff tournament, are the Lakers actually in trouble here? Yes. Okay. Um, I wasn't nervous about the Lakers, uh, two months ago. Mm. I wasn't a month ago. I wasn't two weeks ago. I think I am now. Um, and one of the reasons is unlike the Nets, this is a two headed monster. Mm -hmm. And this is a monster where if one of those heads gets cut off, it doesn't operate. And I'll never question Anthony Davis's talent, but because of historical precedents, do I think he plays every game of a championship run from the play-in game to the finals? No, I don't. And since, as I said, it's two-headed, this could be a big problem. Um, That team is not getting over some of the class of the West without one of the two. 
Um, they're not in a position where they can drop games in a seven game series because they're not dominant enough to uh, assuredly take certain games at home and stuff like that. You're dealing with some interesting stuff as far as the stadiums go, which I think is going to play out interesting. I mean, even if the Lakers make it past the play in and make it past this and they go up against the jazz in a full capacity stadium or nearly a full capacity stadium. And the Staples center is only a couple thousand full. You actually have home court advantages again because of the, this bizarre season. So, I mean, they can still manage to get out of the playoff game um, or excuse me, the play in game. They have, uh, you know, uh, Portland versus the Suns is tonight. Dallas has Toronto tomorrow. Those games are going to lay out exactly who's yeah. going to fall in that five, six, seven kind of thing. So Lakers could still eat their way in, but even if they do, that is going to leave themselves in a first round matchup against either the Nuggets or the Clippers, uh, who would be the six, three game. And, you know, an unhealthy Lakers team, that's a tall order as well. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm a little more concerned than I was, uh, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago. And then there's also the Warriors element, right? Yeah, well, we will so, get to that in a little bit. We got okay, that coming okay. up. We got Let's that. stick with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sticking with the Lakers right now. And, Benny, they need – so I was watching the game the other night, and it's been taking – Andre Drummond, like the first half to get into it. Third quarter, he's he's pretty good. But let's look at this by the math, right? So I I think in order to kind of make a run and be the Lakers, we expect they're going to need damn near 40 from AD every night. They're going to need LeBron to get you like 20, uh, no, excuse me, like 30 and like 15. That gets you in like the 75 range. Then I think on a really good night, Kuzma can get you in like the 15 to 20 range. You got Wes Matthews can give you like 13-ish. Horton Tucker has been pretty good for them. Nice player. And, but yeah, I think a lot of this hinges on like, Drummond and I I hate to say it I'm not exactly sure what's going on with Marcus Saul right now but I feel yeah, like sometimes um uh, Frank Vogel is giving Drummond a little bit too long of a leash and he's not uh giving Gasol I mean Gasol is a champion and there last night he got a a DMP there's no reason he should be sitting next to Costas onto the Kumpo on the bench but yet here we are so I think a lot of what we're going to see is in the early rounds uh as LeBron Connellon he's like charging the jetpack for those you know second and third round matchups uh they're going to need a all hands on deck effort Wes Matthews has had his moments he hasn't exactly been shining like he did in Milwaukee but he'll have a game or two but yeah Andre Drummond early the x factor and it's just taking him too long to get into games especially I mean Steph could have 30 by the time Andre Drummond gets warmed up in a playoff game and at that point it's sayonara I think you just highlighted the biggest problem which is you just spent two minutes on the Lakers and had to say Andre Drummond like seven times Like, if that's the X factor, do we remember where Andre Drummond came from about a month ago? He's been just expelled from every team he was on the Grammy because Museum. of apparently how useless he is on the court yeah. to actually helping a team win, you know, ate up all that money. And then, so, you know, like the fact that we're talking about that as the X factor and Marcus all getting DNPs and obviously being upset about it because mm. 
he came out a couple weeks ago and said so. Yeah, I don't understand what's happening there. I mean, I guess the logic would be let's try to get Drummond instilled into this program prior to the playoffs. But the program isn't operating because LeBron's hasn't been on the court. So uh, I don't know what's happening there. And I think it's a, a highlight of the, the larger problem going on in L.A. But all that being said, um, if they do manage even minimal health and those two are playing, then everything we just said kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Because they're still the best team in the West. So this is where, you know, the the determination on other people's health is hard to make mm. and hard to aggregate on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but to answer your original question, yes, I am concerned. All right, let's keep it in the Western Conference and let's kind of move down the table a little bit. A half game separates the Warriors and the Grizzlies. The mm-hmm. two meet each other on the last night of the season. Uh, do you think we get this 7-8 matchup of Lakers-Warriors or will Memphis ruin the party? I, I mean, they could. Mm. Memphis is good right now. Yeah, Morant's healthy. Uh, Brooks kind of took a step up where I thought he was a marginal player and now I'm really starting to see him as like, Pretty functional two, three, that who, who can play defense. Anderson took a step up. Joe Val is healthy. And then most importantly, everyone forgot about Jaron Jackson Jr., who yeah. is an incredible talent, who has been ramping up his play for the last couple of weeks and actually starting to come into form. So, you know, if you run into one of these Curry nights, which happen where he goes two of 11 from three and winds up with 18, 22 points, they don't have enough to get past very good teams like Memphis. So uh, I think it all depends on Steph at this point, as it has in the last like couple months. Steph goes nuts and puts up 40. Well, they're really hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. If he doesn't, they're pretty easy to beat. <laughs> um, so I think uh, they're playing really good basketball. Draymond's playing well. They have a chip on their shoulder. The way Steph's been talking about the playing tournament, getting into the playoffs, he has kind of that like, you know, don't worry. Like, hmm. we're getting in. Hmm. Like, it's fine. We're going to fuck with some people. He's got kind of like a scary cavalier attitude about it. It's making me think he's up to something. Um, so I, I, I think that's a serious... I think the reverse impact is something to watch out for, too, in the last week, which is what are the top teams? What are your Phoenixes and Utahs going to do to try to schedule against what happens in the playing game? Because you're at a point now where with the Warriors and Lakers both vying for that last spot, you might be in a better position uh, getting yourself into the three seed than even being a one or two seed at this point. Um, So I think there's going to be some interesting play up top there too as a result. Um, But it's also looking now like uh, we got a a Clippers first round matchup that would probably be either the Blazers or the Mavs. Nuggets first round matchup with the Blazers of the Mavs. I think these are fun, fun first rounds that are about to happen. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, it was interesting because on Wednesday night, the Jazz lost to Portland, and I saw people tweeting, be like, oh, are they trying to fall back, dodging? I don't think if you're Utah, I don't think, like, I, I think you're just going blinders straight ahead here. Yeah, probably should. But no, we we got some interesting playoff matchups. Uh, as they become more clear next week, we'll probably dive into all of the matchups, and I think we may even have a plan tournament by the time we record next week. So that's gonna be mm-hmm. very very fun. All right, Benny, let's turn our attention to 
the Eastern Conference now, and on Wednesday night, the Boston Celtics continued their losing streak in Cleveland. Yeah. No Kemba Walker. Jalen Brown is done for the year. If the season ended today, they'd face either the Hornets or the Pacers in a playing game. Uh, a, a Pacers team who don't look now, two-game win streak, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. But will the Celtics survive a play-in tournament? I mean, maybe. Yeah. But at this point, it's it like... So the playing tournament in the East is much different than the West right. because, I mean, I don't see any of these four teams being able to compete with one of the Nets, Sixers, or Bucks. Right. Um, any of this group, I think, is in trouble. So I'm a little less interested in the uh, East play, and as a result, I want to see Beal come back and see if him and Westbrook can win two games and actually crack into the seven, eight. That's just fun. Mm. I just want to see that for the fun of the league. But um, as far as the Celtics are concerned, I mean, we talk about this sometimes on the show and they're one of these teams. They're pretty maxed out. Yeah. You know, if you look at this, this roster and you look at what they got, there is not a lot of opportunity to trade. There is not a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, we've obviously seen how little they can make out of draft capital. Uh, the last three, four years of the draft has been pretty poor. Um, a lot of guys that, you know, your Langfords and Naismiths that were, you know, top 10 picks that you're hoping to get something out of really haven't panned out. Um, so what's strange about this one is, is I blame Danny Ainge right now. To mm-hmm. me, this team is ill-equipped to compete with the with the top dogs in the East. I mean, come on, look at this bench that they've been rolling out there with all season. Like, yes, you give me a lineup with Brown, Tatum, and Walker in it. Sure, they have a chance to do some damage. But Marcus Smart is one of those guys who, uh, you know, win you a game and lose you a game in the same turn. He might be as close to a polarizing Russell Westbrook figure as I know as far as his impact on a team positively and negatively is so strong. But what do you do with this team? How do you get out of these deals without a massive blow up? I don't see it. So as a default, this is the way the NBA works. They're going to start chopping coaches heads within the next season or two. If this doesn't write the ship. Yeah, no, it's interesting what you said about Danny Ainge. And I'm pretty sure I said on this podcast when the Hayward thing happened is they were hoping to, you know, strike a deal, exchange uh, Hayward for Turner. It kind of solidifies you down low. That doesn't happen. They get pieces for Gordon Hayward. He goes down, has a season he has in Charlotte. They're left with Tristan Thompson trying to, bring the corpse of his career along yeah. trying to play games. Um, then they try to make a trade at the deadline, get Evan Fournier. He's got brain fog from COVID <laughs> and they lose. Yeah. So it's just, it's a lot of bad luck, but also you got, I mean, it all kind of starts right with the Hayward deal and that going sideways. And you kind of had a feeling that this was going to be the season for the Boston Celtics. And, um, you know, kind of got the feeling that this was a free season 
for Brad Stevens. If right. he did well, it was like, oh, my God, best coach in the league. Look at what he did with almost nothing. But because it's gone sideways, it's like you're starting to look at Brad in a, in a bit of a different light. But And I said this to you in the text during the week, and I'll put it on the show. The first thing that's going to happen is the bench is going to – like the front of the bench and the back of the bench. Uh, we're going to lose some assistants and boss. New people will be brought in, uh, maybe an, an experienced head coach, kind of like a Mike D'Antoni situation in Brooklyn to kind of steady the hand there. So that's going to be the first thing that happens. And then – if you know they'll they'll try to make their offseason moves, you know they have very limited cap space, but I'm sure Danny is going to figure something out. Um, but then if by the trade deadline and that like All Star break, if they're not in the top four, Brad Stevens may be out of a job in Boston, which brings to the ultimate like this is what this it was written in the stars to happen. I think, you know, I think we got another year of Bjorkren in Indiana. Brad Stevens goes home, coaches the Pacers, and then he coaches there for 20 years. I think it's, a, it's written in the stars. I mean, seems nice. <laughs> but, I mean, he's turning into one of those guys that you wonder, like, is he a little too much X's and O's and not enough uh, not enough player uh, management? You know, mm. that, that could be a problem with a guy like him. I'd also like to say, I mean – when we were talking about this on text, I was telling you about Ainge being a poor drafter and you're like, Oh, what about Tatum and Brown? And this is where I contest this, this downfall happened even before Gordon Hayward. It started at Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And like the fact that both of those players walked without any capital in return was the beginning of the end of this. Mm -hmm. Like imagine if both of those situations were managed in a different way, and you were actually packaging rotational players around Tatum and Brown and Kemba this entire time, mm. you might be looking at something entirely different, even if the drafts played out the same exact way. You could go round and round with the with the Kyrie thing, but when Kyrie works, like I don't think there's any GM in the league that would turn that down. But when it comes to like evaluating GMs, right? I mean you're hoping for like the 20% chance you get a star. That's still better than most guys in the league that I've been with organizations for. I mean, like Mitch Kupchak has a job and LaMelo Ball <laughs> saved his ass. So right. it's like John Hammond in Orlando is probably going to be there forever because he drafted Giannis in, in Milwaukee. So, you know, once your name gets put in into history for drafting two superstars, you're, you're, you're kind of safe for a while. It's kind of interesting mm. how that happens. I mean, listen, Jason Tatum move was it was really smart. Mm. It was just a really long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and he got to do something else about it, you know? He's gonna have the cashman effect pretty soon. Well, yeah, maybe. All right. Well, you know, we talked Boston. We talked Boston a, a little bit. Who who's a name that's synonymous with Boston, Benny? Who doesn't like Boston? No, 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 no. What is a name that's synonymous with Boston? Uh Manny Ramirez. Okay, I was going to go with Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics. <laughs> and let's transition over to baseball now. And the Oakland Athletics, man, they are in a tough spot here. Uh, the Oakland uh, Athletics said on Tuesday that they will start exploring the possibility of relocating with the blessing of Major League Baseball, a move that could put pressure on local government to greenlight a new stadium project that has spent years in limbo. This comes on the back of the Warriors moving to San Francisco and the Raiders moving to Vegas. So, Benny... How badly does Oakland need the A's? I mean, bad. And it mm. sucks. And I feel for them. Like, even as a, the A's were kind of my West Coast team for a long time. I grew up 
for some reason, a huge fan of the player Dave Parker. <laughs> I played on uh, the A's in Little League. You know, we had the Bash Brothers. Yeah, of course. The, uh, you know, World Series uh, with the earthquake. Um, I mean, the A's for like Ricky Henderson. We had these like 10, 15 years there where the A's were such a culturally important team that like the Oakland A's actually mean something to me in a mm. baseball narrative. And I, I don't want to see them go. But we we talked a little bit about text. I mean, I've been there, man. I've been to this stadium complex they had out there in Oakland. It's truly bizarre. I don't even think it's in Oakland. I don't know where it is. It's off the fucking highway somewhere. It's not, nowhere near the city. And, you know, you go to one of these giant, uh, uh, stadium complexes with absolutely nothing around it but the stadiums and that is the problem that's the fallout of something that happened this trend that happened back in the 70s 80s and 90s to build stadium complexes out in the suburbs catering to a mostly white suburban ticket buying crowd and now it's biting them in the ass like look at what happened to the Nets right mm-hmm even in the Nets, uh, sitting there in the swamp for fucking 25 years, you couldn't get anyone to go to those games. They tried to operate a tri-state area basketball team off public transportation. Mm-hmm. How did we think that was ever going to work? We literally had finals games against Shaq and Kobe that people wouldn't come to because yeah. it's out there in the swamp. And then it moves to Newark and it fucking boomed. And in Brooklyn, it booms. It's just so obvious that you need to put these in cultural centers. You got to give people a reason to go there. And and they always thought in reverse. And that is not what they should have ever done. What they should have always done is bring these stadiums back into the cities, put the money into the areas they're building around, and that is how you create it. So I think it was a massive error a long time ago with the business structure of not only the A's, but a lot of teams who move their stadiums out of the city. And this is the fallout of it where good people and good fans in a good city are about to lose their team again because of the foolishness of uh, foolishness of the people on top. You were saying to me the other day that you played the Oakland Coliseum, Uh, not the Coliseum. I played Oracle. Oh, damn. So, So I've been in that, complex you know where i you yeah. know with the empty stadiums Wait, so in tell the me all about how did that happen i was a festival it's like mm-hmm. one of the big radio i think it was one of the bay area radio stations mm-hmm. just doing one of their like i don't know christmasica <laughs> like yeah. fucking you know <laughs> like things <laughs> where you're usually mixed with pretty bizarre bands i think that one was actually cool if i recall mm. and uh yeah but they're they're truly bizarre days i mean especially for a band like us who shows up with like no production because (laughs) you're rolling into a stadium that are, you know, most people don't get to see this, but the back back ends of stadium are basically like giant industrial shipping areas, Mm. you know, with loading docks and garage doors and ports. Like it's a very industrial looking place. So when you're rolling in like little amps and stuff into (laughs) a place like that, like by yourself, you know, (laughs) it always feels a little funny, but Whenever that happened, were you like the only one that was like, dude, like Curry's Locker's like right there? Or like, who would it be at the time? Because I'm guessing this was like 2012, 2013, right? I could always, luckily, that's where Ian Perkins mm, coming on was yeah. was great for me because <laughs> he's, he's like me where it's like, uh, 
you know, if if I'm in England and someone's like, do you want to tour this, uh, you know, regulated B-level uh, football team stadium? I'm like, yeah, yeah. like, of course, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Let's go, you know, let's do it. And he's the same way. So even though uh, it took me talking his ear off for many years about baseball and basketball to get him to be into it, mm. um, he would always show an interest in stuff like that. And I do remember going down into the, the uh, hallways of that stadium and checking out some of the cool stuff, but there wasn't too much time. I think the coolest stuff around that one was probably the, uh, like the wilt stuff, you know, that was yeah. there. Yeah, man. I feel like people always forget they played in San Francisco. That would be, man, if you're going out to a music festival this summer and you know how people love to throw on the throwback jerseys. If you can find me a wilt San Francisco Jersey. Oh my gosh. Tight. That, that's good. Well, um, I'll put it out there to the tune-up <laughs> audience now. I have been looking desperately. I've even asked my friends who own like, you know, hipster vintage shops who source old t-shirts. If anyone could find me mid-70s Long Island Nets Ooh. apparel, I've been looking for it for a long time. I think we only had a two-year window there, like 75, 76, that it could have even existed. But I want it. If anyone found, I'll, I'll pay top dollar. I mean, if Mitchell and Ness sells literally Jersey City Giants jerseys, right? I, I I think you should be able to find ABA Long Island Nets. I'm talking about originals, baby. Oh, you want like like off of Doctor J's back? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if do- <laughs> if the doctor's keeping them, but I got to assume there's some fucking nerd out in Hempstead or something <laughs> who is a big fan in the mid '70s. He's got a couple fat boy T-shirts in his drawer. That's what I'm hoping for. Oh, more we'll the get- eBay find, you know? We'll get the doctor on the podcast. Don't you worry. All right. All right, so let's just wrap up uh, with a quick hypothetical here because, honestly, that should have been the name of the show, Hypotheticals. If oh, if Oakland is like, you know what, deuces, get out of here, A's, where would you like to see the Athletics play next? I mean, I'm pretty into this idea of, like, just giving everything to Las Vegas right now for fun. <laughs> yeah. Just because I kind of want to see how it pans out, mm. you know, just making Las Vegas a proper sports town. But what else is in contention for the A's right now? Like, what's being talked about? Well, I know that Portland has been putting together an expansion bid, which, boy, the history of baseball in Portland. Yeah. There's a great documentary on Netflix. Uh, apparently, Kurt Russell's father owned the Portland Pioneers, um, uh-huh. Bastards of Baseball. If you, if you have Netflix, check it out. So Portland, mm-hmm. right, right along the water there. Uh, that's the proposal. I've heard Mexico City. That'd be interesting. That'd be a great kind of cultural capital coming south of the border. Um, everybody in Canada is like Montreal Athletics. Let's get it. But it's like if you're gonna put a team in Montreal, you gotta bring back the Expos, those unis, and and I mean Pedro, Randy Johnson, all that stuff. There's too much history there to start. The stadium's still there too. Yeah, mm-hmm. they still use it. So I mean, they do have a built-in park there. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, I would like that. That would be it, it should be. I think it should be like, uh, you know, the same way they should reward teams or excuse me, cities that previously had teams. Yeah. Right. Like like especially places like Seattle or Montreal, where it wasn't a lack of interest by mm-hmm. the fan base that led to their demise, you know. So I, I like that. Let's bring it to Montreal. I'm into it. It's amazing how the the gambling component of all of this has impacted 
the content business because essentially the A's for a Vegas casino would just be content. They'd pretty much be the Oakland Athletics sponsored by the MGM Sportsbook presented by William Hill. So yeah, it'd right. be like like it'd be a, a crazy thing. I mean, I think that the stadium in uh, the the NFL in Vegas is going to go over well because uh, I think the NFL and you know Vegas in general has kind of learned we don't have to have actual fans as long as it's just one more entertainment destination that you can get comp tickets to from some guy you know right. I think people will be into it I just want to hear Jesus Lazardo try to speak French <laughs> Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the tune-up HQ. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, you know, stop putting pesticides on your lawn so these goslings can eat, you know? The 25th WNBA season gets started this weekend. Tune in. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.